Welcome back to the Whip Around, a weekly women's basketball podcast hosted by myself, Sabrina Merchant, on the Swish Appeal Podcast Network. Week one of the WNBA playoffs is in the books, and we have already said goodbye to two of this year's playoff teams. Starting with the 1-8 series, the top seed Las Vegas Aces made quick work of the Phoenix Mercury who had to have been happy at least to extend their league-leading playoff streak to 10 years ever since the year that they drafted Brittany Griner number one overall. As a reminder, this is the 187th day that BG has been wrongfully detained in Russia, and we hope for her safe return as soon as possible. Ultimately, getting to the postseason may have been a hollow victory for the Mercury. They gave the Aces a run for it in Game 1, but they lost Shea Petty to a torn Achilles in the third quarter of that game, an injury that may cost her all of the 2023 season, and then they were soundly booted out of the postseason in Game 2. On the bright side, the short series was a good opportunity for fringe WNBA players like Vonnie Turner and especially Kayla Davis to make their cases for WNBA rosters next season. But overall, it's probably for the best that the book is closed on this year for Phoenix. Hopefully, they have a healthy Diana Taurasi and Kia Nurse for next season, and all the best to Skylar Diggins-Smith, who had to step away from the team for personal reasons. Maybe it's a coincidence that the last game Skylar played was the day of BG sentencing, when the point guard gave an impassioned speech about playing through her trauma. Or perhaps that is the reason why Sky was unable to finish out this year. Whatever the case, everyone on the Mercury deserves some rest and better luck all around in 2023. The Aces didn't have to be at their best to beat Phoenix, but they will need a better effort against their second-round opponent, the Seattle Storm. The Storm and Mystics played in the best series of this year's postseason so far, featuring two of the only three closely contested games, with Seattle winning both on its home court. Washington was an outstanding team all year long, especially when Elena Deladon was available, but the Storm had a few key advantages that the Mystics just couldn't overcome. Specifically, The Washington guards weren't good enough scoring threats to prevent Seattle from helping off of them, and that allowed Sue Bird in particular to play to her strengths off-ball. And then Jewel Lloyd and Stewie were just better than their Olympian counterparts in Ariel Atkins and EDD. Those advantages do not exist for the Storm against the Aces, however, who have a devastating perimeter trio of offensive attackers in Chelsea Gray, Kelsey Plum, and Jackie Young and a better star big in Asia Wilson, who is the only player in the W who can credibly go toe-to-toe with Stewie. The two teams played an unmemorable final series in 2020 that ended in a Seattle sweep, but this Las Vegas team is so much better, particularly with Gray and Plum at the peak of their powers, which they absolutely were against Phoenix, even if the rest of the team didn't exactly follow suit. The Aces won the season series against the Storm 3-1, to culminating with a banger of a 109-100 victory on the final day of the regular season. And they have to be freaking thrilled that the Mystics are not awaiting for them in the semifinals after Washington swept Vegas during the regular season. Ultimately, that makes the Mystics the real losers of the first part of the postseason and of the new playoff format. Despite having the same record as the Storm and a better point differential, Washington was the five seed by tiebreaker, 
and never got to host a home game in the playoffs. The WNBA is unlikely to make any changes to the postseason format one year in, and one presumes that the league cares more that Sue Bird got multiple playoff home games than the fact that the Mystics got none. But I imagine that they'll file this away when considering any potential reinvention of the postseason, and it remains a real bummer that a team as good as Washington is out this soon due to a bad matchup. While the Mystics and the Mercury lick their wounds, the Liberty and the Wings live to fight another day. New York opened the playoffs with a shocking upset of the defending champs on their home court, featuring what is likely to be the play of the postseason when Maureen Johannes threw a behind-the-back, over-the-head, two-handed pass to Natasha Howard that sparked the game-ending 13-0 run. Chicago responded with a thorough beatdown of the Liberty in Game 2, but New York retains home court advantage for the decisive game tonight, Tuesday. A team that can get as hot from three as the Liberty is always a threat to upset. And the final series of the first round features Dallas against Connecticut. The Sun obliterated the Wings in Game 1. Again, lots of blowouts in this postseason so far. And then received swift payback in Game 2. Since Dallas has been an enigma all year, check back to the first episode of The Whip Around that I recorded on June 21st for more thoughts on that. I decided to focus on Connecticut today to figure out just what to expect in Game 3. Thankfully, Lila Bromberg of the Hartford Current joined me on this week's show to analyze the sun and all of the nitty-gritty of this series. Lila covers Connecticut and the WNBA at large for her paper, and she also covers UConn women's basketball if you're looking for a Huskies beat writer to follow this season. I hope you enjoy the conversation with Lila and tune in for Liberty Sky tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN and then Wings Sun on Wednesday at the same time. All right. I'm really excited to be joined by Lila. When I asked you to join the podcast, I was hoping that we'd be talking about Connecticut moving on to the WNBA semifinals, but that is not the case as they lost Dallas pretty spectacularly in game two. Lila, what what happened there against Dallas? Yeah, I thought we would be talking about them moving on too. I mean, all of us on the beat kind of expected them to win pretty handedly. It really was kind of just a complete flip of the first game where, you know, first game Connecticut's blowing them out. And, you know, this game, the, you know, final score in game two of 89-79 definitely makes it look a lot closer than it actually was. You know, Connecticut just was off shooting, you know, the entire night, got behind early, uh, was really thrown up by, thrown off by some lineup changes from the wings and, and really just, you know, all the areas of the game that they have done well in all season, you know, creating disruption on offense, forcing turnovers, rebounding, playing in transition. Everything was really kind of reversed from game one to game two. And Connecticut, you know, they've had games this season where they can recover from getting down early, but never just really found the rhythm at all in that game. Yeah, let's talk about that getting down early because Connecticut was was in L.A. for a couple games at the end of the season. And so I had a chance to talk to Kurt Miller about the slow start thing. And it's it's been an issue for the Sun for a quite some time, which, um, I don't know, makes you wonder if they should be starting Bree Jones or something, but that's a, that's a story for a different day. <laughs> and he said that what they do is they try to script their offense for like the first X amount of plays and then just sort of let the game flow after that. And it hadn't been working, right? They kept falling down in these first mm-hmm. quarters. So he was going to try to take the reins off for a little bit and just sort of let the team play. And even against a team like the Sparks, which I mean, let's be honest, they're not in the playoffs. They're not 
of the caliber of the teams that Connecticut will be seeing for however long they continue in the postseason, it didn't quite work. So, I mean, are, are they still talking about that? Is that something that is still in their heads? Because, like, there are slow starts, and then there's seven points in the first quarter of a playoff game. So clearly, something is still up there. Yeah, in the past, it's really been a lot of their talk of lack of int- you know, energy, intensity, effort, those sorts of things. And you could kind of tell in certain games when they weren't coming out with that. Last night, when you look at game two, I mean, it really just felt like a lot of, they were getting some good looks early. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot just was not falling. I mean, they come up with a steal on the first possession and Dewana Bonner misses a wide open three-pointer. They get another wide open look for Courtney Williams on the next possession uh, and, and miss that as well. And it just seemed like this was a game where they just kept missing shots. Obviously, there's that you know sudden lineup change, which I think threw them off a bit, and it just seemed like frustration started to mount in this game. And they couldn't really you know climb out of that hole like they have in in other games. Yeah, I think you're right about some of those shots just not going in. I mean, I'm thinking of John Quell getting a couple of offensive rebounds, and like mm-hmm. the putbacks just weren't going in. Which like right. you think six foot six John Quell Jones right at the basket, especially with you know, not Tierra McCowan guarding her. Like there should be enough room to finish over the top, but even those weren't happening. And I am inclined to believe that like those looks will go in at some point. And instead of, you know, only scoring seven points in the first quarter, you're in a better position, like maybe, you know, 22 to 15 or something instead of 22 to seven. But that doesn't really change the fact that at one point they were down by 31 in this game yeah Uh, so I I think it's fair to say that it was more than just the slow start that was working against uh the sun in this particular game so if there was like one thing that stood out other than the fact that they couldn't hit shots at the beginning what what's the one thing that really took them out of this game yeah uh, I mean like you mentioned obviously a lot of those missed shots easy shots that, that was a huge thing and I think I kind of hinted at this a little bit but you know the Dallas Wings made you know, a move that I don't think anybody was really expecting with having Tierra McCowan coming in off the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so basically anytime Bree Jones came in for the sun in the game, you would have McCowan coming in at the same time. So, you know, first off at the start of a game, that means that, you know, McCowan struggled to guard JJ in game one. Uh, you know, John Quell is a much more mobile, versatile player, has a lot more range. And, and now you kind of had someone more evenly matched on her. But I think what this really did is, you know, normally Bree Jones can come into a game and really dominate, but instead of, you know, she still had 20 points and had a really good game, but especially, you know, on the boards and different things like that, wasn't able to have as much of that just sheer dominance because you're going up against Tierra McCowan every time one of them comes in. And and I think that really did make a d- big difference. I don't think that was something Connecticut was at all expecting where, you know, you start off the game and, you're not getting those shots to fall, you know, JJ, you know, like you mentioned, is kind of missing a lot of those shots, not having the best game to start. Normally you could have Bree Jones then come in and really give that boost of energy, but because McCowan's coming in at the same time, you know, they both kind of neutralize each other a little bit. Yeah. I thought that was a really interesting choice for Dallas. Uh, I like it a lot just because, Mm -hmm. you know, Bree Jones, I sort of think of her as like Kurt Miller's security blanket whenever anything is going poorly you just okay let's reset the offense get the ball to bring in right. the post and at the very least like you're probably not going to turn the ball over like something is good going to happen something good is going to happen out of this possession and it's just a way to settle everything down right and to take that away from from Connecticut where like the, the thing that they're most comfortable doing is now 
a really difficult option because I have I have concerns about Tierra McCowan's defense broadly, but one-on-one post-defending is probably her her strongest skill. So I, I thought that was really smart. And then the fact that they were able to get away with the small lineup against Connecticut's starting five is, I think, really interesting because like it wasn't just the first quarter where Connecticut screwed up, right? Like the third quarter, they also ended up losing by a margin of 30 to 17. So it wasn't just like, hey, we're missing shots early and that's going to even out. It was, oh, right. this small lineup that Dallas is starting is actually better than ours. And I'm curious how the players reacted to, you know, the change, like what they thought they were doing wrong. I don't think it's just Kayla Thornton, you know, hitting a bunch of shots. This does seem like something that Dallas has been successful with. Like I think about that first game they played against Connecticut during the regular season where they just blitzed Connecticut during the third quarter with this small lineup. I think Satu was a part of it at the time. So it, it doesn't seem like a fluke to me, but um, I'm curious, how, how did the players react to that small lineup and what did they think they were doing wrong against that particular configuration for Dallas? Yeah, I mean, something they talked about a lot was just with how well that smaller lineup was passing and moving the ball, how much Connecticut struggled to create the normal disruption that they're able to get. This is a team that is definitely at its best when it's forcing turnovers, creating a lot of its offense from the defense. Mm-hmm. And so a big thing they talked about is just how it kind of threw them off defensively. They weren't able to, you know, then create the looks in transition they normally could. And then that just kind of kept carrying over to the offensive end, especially with kind of, you know, that frustration that was, you know, mounting throughout the game that you could really feel in the building throughout the game. I mean, that first quarter, it's just a lot, a lot of shock and it's just kind of this weird vibe to the building and, and just like, it definitely kind of mounts into frustration as that game goes on and they're not really able to do anything against it. Yeah. And I, I mean, I definitely think that the wings are going to go back to it just because of how successful it <laughs> right. was. That's absolutely going to happen. You know, I feel, I feel like we've been having this conversation about JJ throughout the season where like she's the reigning MVP. I mean, it even came up during the playoffs last year. Like, why don't they get her the ball more? Did you see anything that like Izzy Harrison was doing in particular to make JJ's life difficult? Or was this more of JJ getting hers, but the rest of the sun not quite figuring out among the starters? Yeah, I mean, you know, JJ still ended up finishing with 20 points. They're definitely, I think, at first that kept her out of her rhythm, right? You mm-hmm. saw in like the first game of the series, she scored seven of their first 14 points. That really got everyone else settled down and into a good rhythm. So I think that played kind of a factor in it. I just think all around just a lot wasn't working. I mean, you look at the the guards in, in that game and, and Natisha uh, Heideman and Courtney Williams just both had pretty off shooting nights. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was kind of a huge factor in everything as well. But I think it really just felt like one of those things where everyone was thrown off and they just couldn't seem to rebound from it. Like just having a start like that in the past, we've seen them just be able to bounce back. And it really was kind of, you know, shocking that they weren't able to kind of really in any way until you had the bench come in late in the game. It just seemed like a completely off night for them. I mean, obviously, like you said, it it would be smart for Dallas to come back with that small lineup, but I would be surprised to see, you know, Connecticut look as shell-shocked as they did in this game, you know, the next time around. Yeah, I was pretty stunned that they never really made any meaningful comeback, right? Like, I kept thinking in the second quarter, like, okay, is in, you know, uh, mm-hmm. like they're they're going to create some turnovers. Like Dijon is going to get going in transition. Um, Natisha is eventually going to hit some threes. Like at some point they're going to make a comeback and put a little pressure on Dallas. And that 
like you said, that never really happened until the fourth quarter. And I'm not entirely sure that that actually put pressure on Dallas because, you know, being down by 13 with two minutes mm-hmm. left is still still a really big hill to have to climb. Right. Um, so that was the most surprising thing to me. It's just like, I think one of the coolest stats about Connecticut is that they didn't lose to any of the bottom five teams at all during the regular season, right? No losses against Phoenix, Atlanta, LA, Indiana, or um, Minnesota. And so they don't really beat themselves, right? They're always competitive. They're always in games. They always take care of the things they can take care of. And for them to lose by, or I mean, it only ended up being 10, but to be down by 30 on their home court is just so out of character for this team, right? Like they lose some close games, obviously, right? Like the execution down the stretch, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I'm sure, you know, if it comes to it, we'll be talking about that execution against Chicago ad nauseum, you know, if that happens, right. but for them to get blown out, it's just so weird, right? Like, it just doesn't feel like something that happens to this team. And like, was there anything different about like their, their psyche afterwards? Like, did they still feel like the same, you know, more confident in what we're doing or did they feel a little thrown off? Yeah. I mean, I, I had asked them a little bit about that in the post game pre- presser about, you know, what kind of felt off and they just kind of kept going back to talking about, you know, not being able to get the offense from their defense, kind of the things I've mentioned with mm-hmm. the turnovers and um, just kind of the slow start, putting them in a hole. Um, you know, they didn't really allude to what as much was going on there. And it's, it is kind of very puzzling. And like you mentioned too, just how good they were um, against that, you know, the rest of a league. And even when you looked at the wings, Connecticut, you know, series earlier in the year, you know, the Wings have a 2-1 edge in that. But when you look at that series, the first game was the first game after Jasmine Thomas's injury. They didn't have right. any practice before that game. So, I mean, you could have expected them to lose that game to pretty much anyone they're going to play unless it was, you know, really a bottom team in the mm-hmm. league. And then they go out and dominate them the second. And then that third matchup was on the road, last game before all-star break. The team was kind of just in a little bit of a rut at that point, low energy. So, I mean, I definitely was not expecting, you know, a game like this to happen in game two, especially after that dominant game one. It just, it, it really is kind of puzzling. I don't think it's indicative of, of kind of what you're going to see moving forward from them. But definitely, like you said, it's just kind of shocking that they didn't come back in it at all. I think just, it just really seemed like there's so much frustration that they couldn't really get back in that rhythm. They've talked about, you know, how much, they've realized that they're at their best when they're having fun this year and free flowing. And when you get off to a start like that and nothing you're trying is working, it's pretty hard to kind of get back into that mindset. Yeah, absolutely. They, they definitely seem like a team that I I don't want to say they're front runners, but like when things are going well, they're going really well, you know, like they kind of remind me of Las Vegas in that respect uh, where they just have such a great time on the court. And I mean, I'm sure it helps that like four of their players are involved in romantic relationships, but like they all just seem to love each other quite a bit <laughs> and have a great time with one another. And you, you definitely felt like the lack of that joy in game two. Right. I mean, there's like a difference when Alyssa Thomas is like actually mean mugging versus when she just has like a, you know, a smirk on her face because like she's just crushing it. Um, And that was, that was not the case in game two when, I mean, I don't put that much stock in a single game plus minus, but like being outscored by 30 in AT's minutes is pretty stunning especially like when JJ was only minus 11 and like Bree Jones ended up being a plus in that game which is weird I guess she was part of some of those bench lineups that ended up making that run at the end but yeah the the minus 30 is it's a really big number it's not a number that you'd expect yeah it's not something you expect from AT yeah someone who's like consistently touted in their 
you know, first team all WNBA promotional material. And like Miller's calling her the defensive player of the year. And like, it was not working for her against Kayla Thornton. Let's be clear. Like that was not a matchup mm-hmm. that she was winning. And that's a matchup that they absolutely need her to win going forward. So let's, let's talk a little bit about game three. Obviously with the new playoff format, Connecticut will be heading to Dallas for this decisive game three. I think a lot has been made of the actual scheduling of the playoffs in terms of like who gets the home games and whatnot. I don't really think it's that big of a deal. Like as long as travel is an issue in the WNBA, I'm happy to reduce it as much as possible and give the home teams the opportunity to take care of business early. And clearly Connecticut did not do that. So they have to go to Dallas. And I mean, lucky for them, all due respect to the wings, it's not the greatest home court in the WNBA. Like it's not like they're going to Seattle or Phoenix to finish this out. In that respect, like I think it'll be okay in terms of home road disadvantage. Like Connecticut's not a terrible road team, but what what sort of keys are you looking for Connecticut to hit on? Like I know we've talked about some of the things that they do well, but like anything else that they really need to accomplish in this game to make sure that they are heading to the semifinals for what the fourth straight year? Yeah, fourth straight year. Um, yeah, like I said, the things I mentioned, like they need to find a way to create points off turnovers and really fuel their offense that way. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's been key whenever they've beaten the wings this season and just wasn't there as much last game until, I mean, you see kind of the stats at the end, but really going into the fourth quarter, they only had four points off of four wings turnovers, um, which is just not a recipe for success for them at all. And, you know, also the, you know, rebounding as well. This is a team that has really dominated through offensive rebounding all year And, you know, Tierra McCowan ended up with eight offensive rebounds against them. Um, That was how Dallas got a lot of second chance points. They ended up with 23 second chance points. So really performing better on the boards, communicating better, boxing out better is going to be, you know, huge as well. And then obviously, you know, a better start, hopefully to have a better performance from their guards as well. And I think it's just an aspect of this that is going to be really interesting is, is seeing what Kurt Miller comes out with in terms of lineups, how they end up combating what Dallas does. Something that's kind of been intriguing to me all season is, you know, you, you mentioned as well how they've had Bree Jones come off the bench and they've experimented a lot with different ways to get Bree, JJ, and AT all on the floor together. Mm-hmm. They haven't been on the floor together at all, the three of them, in either of the games of this series. So I'm really interested to see if that comes out at all in the third game. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I remember when Jazz first got hurt, there was a a big move, no pun intended, towards that like three front court lineup with DB at the two guard. And they kind of moved away from it, I guess, because uh, some guard reinforcements came in, right? Like first Bria Hartley and now Odyssey Sims. I think Mia Cloudin's been playing great too. I just, I love whenever she's on the court. Mm -hmm. I think Kurt Miller said that she has like a a little extra wiggle, which is just such a fun way of (laughs) describing a player. Uh, but yeah, I like I like watching her quite a bit. But that that's an interesting uh, idea just to maybe bully the wings a little bit more with that front court. Um, I think it's been a while since we've seen the jumbo lineup. I, I was looking at the box score again. And I mean, it always sticks out to me when the Sun are playing that like they never get up as many threes as their opponents. It didn't feel like that was going to be a huge deal coming into this matchup because Dallas isn't a hugely prolific three point shooting team either. But did, did you get the sense of the fact that like they they kind of want to up that volume at all or are they perfectly fine with you know the, the way their shot distribution is going they just need to get more in rhythm on offense I think it's just a matter of getting more in rhythm I mean you look at that first game and they had 54 points in the paint 
Um, mm-hmm. And they only made five threes in that 93-68 win to open the series. So I, I don't think it's a matter of, you know, getting more shots there. I think it's really just, you know, finding the rhythm in that offense. And it just, you know, wasn't really working in, in any regard uh, on Sunday. I firmly believe that Natisha Heideman's shooting is going to win Connecticut a game at some point in the playoffs. And I mean, if it doesn't happen in game three, then I'm going to be wrong. So clearly just from like an <laughs> egotistical perspective, like I would like to see that happen pretty soon. Her putting up an offer, just again, one of those things that seems completely out of character. And I realize this is her first time starting and leading a team into the postseason. So maybe there's just a little bit of adjustment period for her. Like, there was definitely an adjustment period during the regular season when it mm-hmm. came time for her to take the reins. And so like, it's not totally out of the ordinary that she would need some time, but they just need more from that guard position because Courtney Williams is, is going to shoot. That's, that's going to happen <laughs> with those shots. Those shots need to go in. Yeah. And one of my, you know, one of the stats that I found just kind of preparing for a playoffs when I was just going through a lot of a regular season the Sun are nine and one in games where Natisha makes at least three three pointers, um, mm-hmm. and only loss was to the Aces. So, I mean, when she's shooting the three ball, it really is huge for them. Yeah, absolutely. Any other keys to Game Three you think we're missing out on? Anything uh, you think Dallas might throw any more curveballs Connecticut's way? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I think Kurt Miller is definitely someone who enjoys the kind of serious aspect of making adjustments Mm -hmm. and you could tell he was a bit frustrated by what Dallas did in that first game when he was asked about it after the game Um, I don't think he was expecting that so I'm really interested to see kind of this chess match in this third game of the series and and what the Sun come out and do after that adjustment from Dallas yeah it definitely seemed like they were not prepared for this option at all and like on the one hand, I understand that because Dallas had been so successful with Tara McCowan and Izzy Harrison's minutes have just been like up and down. I mean, we've all seen the TikToks. <laughs> uh, it's clear where Vicky Johnson's priorities lie. So I understand wanting to prepare for the way Dallas finished the season, but it did kind of seem like they were just completely thrown off by this, mm-hmm. you know, lineup change. And that just can't be the case in game three, right? Like now that they've seen it once, they've ha- they're going to have at least a day to practice. I, I think we're going to see a much more put together Connecticut team at the very least. And maybe we'll get like the first close game of this series. What do you think? Yeah, I think hopefully we will get the first close game of the series. It is kind of just funny to have these just two complete reversals, game one and game two. And I would expect a much closer game this time around. It's hard to kind of see either team just completely blowing each other out of the water after having that in the first two games. And now, you know, everyone coming elimination game on the line, having these different adjustments. Um, And I would definitely expect, you know, the Sun to come out hungry after, you know, kind of being embarrassed a little bit on their home court, you know, with a chance to go to the semifinals, just were completely kind of stunned. Yeah, it was, it was shocking. It was, I would imagine, fairly embarrassing. Not, again, not to say anything badly about the Dallas Wings, like they obviously came in and earned that win, but to see a team that has had, you know, so much, success over the past few years like how many times have I heard the winningest regular season team since 2017 <laughs> stat right uh, just to see a team that is used to winning and is used to being competitive mm-hmm. go out like that was just it was really surprising and it just isn't in line with the Connecticut Sun that I have come to know you know from the past four years yeah for sure yeah so uh 
I'm not going to ask you to give a prediction because that's that's mean. But any um any <laughs> players that. we should look for as like potential X factors. I feel like Alyssa Thomas. I mean, okay. she really didn't have her best game in that last game out. Only had six points. You know, she had five assists and six rebounds. But I mean, for her, that's not really anything. But I mean, she can do that any night. I I think. You know, like you mentioned, Alyssa Thomas was pretty frustrated by, you know, that Fortin matchup. And, and I think she's going to come out really hungry. I, I wrote about it earlier was earlier last week. Just um, you look at the playoff play of Alyssa Thomas, especially in elimination games um, or a game where something's on the line like that. She tends to really go off uh, the first game of the series. She would have she nearly had a triple double uh, sat on the bench for the last five minutes because it was such a blow. But easily mm-hmm. could have gotten there. So I'd really expect her just knowing the type of competitive player she is to come out really hungry in this game and and kind of kind of go off. Just personally, like as someone who is based in Los Angeles, I remember the game that she had against the Sparks in that 2020 uh, bubble single elimination Mm -hmm. game. And yeah, elimination game, Alyssa Thomas is definitely a thing. (laughs) Um, Right. It definitely is. Yeah. Someone who watched her career at Maryland too, like, you know, Alyssa Thomas with, you know, a game with a championship on the line or something like that something elimination she just kind of kicks it into another gear so yeah and she just just wasn't having like a you didn't feel her presence in that game on Sunday which is just such a weird thing to say about Alyssa Thomas because she is so I mean I don't want to repeat the same word but she's so present on the basketball court like Mm -hmm. everything she does you feel it and you know whether that's good or bad whatever I mean it's generally good she was just had such like an unremarkable game which is Again, completely out of character. Like, I don't understand quite how Connecticut was just so off its game um, in a playoff game. I guess we'll just leave this here. Does that give you, like, any long-term concern about this Connecticut team? Like, let's say they do win on Wednesday. Does this performance in Game 2, even if they end up winning the series, like, give you more concern heading forward? I don't think so, but I will say that I would have been concerned with them going forward either way. Um, I think the aces getting the first seed really was not good for Connecticut. Yeah. Um, Chicago has given them issues all year. They've lost the last six matchups against them dating back to the semifinals last season. And they just really have not been able to find a way to beat them in late game situations. So I think, you know, obviously we're going to have that game on Tuesday between the Liberty and the sky, but you know, if the sky come out on top of that and are the team, the other team of semifinals, I think regardless of what happened in game two of the Sun Wing series, I think, you know, Connecticut was going to struggle against Chicago. I mean, who knows, maybe they're so ticked off by this team getting the best of them that they find a way to beat them in the semifinals. But mm-hmm. um, I think facing the team that really has been the one team in this league that's given them so many issues um, over the past two years, for that to be a team they have to beat to get to the finals, I think that was not a good recipe for success, you know, either way. It's crazy how much matchups matter in these postseason series. Cause like I would have favored Washington against maybe every other team in the first round other than Seattle. And yet they ended up against the storm and don't even win a game. And like if Connecticut had played Seattle, that would have been a great matchup for the sun because right, they yeah. swept the sun. I mean, the storm during the regular season and looked pretty damn good in all of those games. So it's just so crazy how, the seeding ends up working things out when I was in, you know, at those uh, sun sparks games last week, there weren't more than one people in the sun, like traveling party who were 
you know, keeping tabs on the Chicago score, trying to see if they were going to be the one seed. Right. Or not. Like it's definitely something that they were thinking about. And it is interesting that, you know, Chicago is in this position where, yeah, they're the two seed, but maybe it's better for them if they move forward. But then again, like I would have much rather played Phoenix in the first round than New York. So that's, that's yet another thing to have to think about. Anyway, thank you so much for your time, Lala. Was there anything else that you wanted to share about Connecticut or you can just tell everyone how they can follow your work covering the Sun and the WNBA? Yeah, thank you again so much for having me. Yeah, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Lila B. Bromberg or find any of my work in the Hartford Current. Yeah, I, I really appreciate your time. It's it's so helpful to have these local reporters talking about all of these teams, especially because, again, the team that I cover is not actually in the playoffs. <laughs> I really appreciate it, Lila, and looking forward to reading the rest of your work for the rest of the playoffs. Thank you. I appreciate it.